everybody, Savannah, alcoholic addict. Um, thanks for allowing me this chance to share. Um, the only other time I've spoken for a group was in an all night place for the brief 12 minutes that I tried to encapsulate my experience, strength, hope and entire life. And now I almost feel like I'm on the opposite end where it's too free form. So hopefully I don't <laughs> go the opposite direction and ramble you guys to death. But um, so I am, my sobriety date is December 7th, 2021. So I'm at 167 days. So just under, um, you know, still under that six month mark. Um, so very much still in early sobriety. But um, this is not my first rodeo. I have had varying lengths of sobriety, um, primarily through the traditional AA venue. So um, I'm coming to you now kind of with new eyes in the secular, um, the secular world. It's really been a huge life-changing um, shift for me in terms of being able to really throw myself into this program. So um, I'll hope to give you kind of an overview of where I came from and how I got here. Uh, grew up in the Pacific Northwest and kind of bounced around a lot between Oregon, California. Um, I come from a long line of alcoholics. So alcoholic mother, her parents. Um, I knew about AA before I ever came to the rooms because uh, my grandparents met in AA. So um, perhaps my destiny was already predetermined. Um, in that, <laughs> in that way, um, also on my father's side as well. So I was well aware that there was addiction in family. My mom was a pretty high functioning alcoholic and I was pretty blissfully unaware of that fact um, for a lot of my life. Um, and in the midst of that, I also grew up in a fairly religious household, um, a strong kind of Mormon upbringing. So there was a lot of kind of mixed messages in terms of what I was receiving at home, um, how to behave, what kind of the standards were in terms of where I fit in, what my role in the world was. Um, I took my first drink when I was 13, which was pretty taboo um, in in my religion, it was uh, the word of wisdom is pretty clear about no no booze in no booze in your world, um, no coffee either. So, you know, I think a lot of us would struggle in that way. Um, it, it was thrilling from the very first time I took a drink. It was like, this is playing with fire. This is awesome. Um, it was a, a in direct relation to a rebellion against that. Um, religious upbringing that I decided to very consciously take my first drink. Um, it was, you know, at a friend's house, their giant liquor cabinet, all the white lightning and, and all the, the various wines that were available. And I loved it. I loved it from the get go. Um, and pretty much it became a feature of my social world. Um, after that moment, it became, um, the perfect accessory for for all settings and helped alleviate a lot of social anxiety I, I dealt with as well, really feeling kind of too emotional, too sensitive, um, overwhelmed by the chaos of the world and also feel like trying to manage feelings of not being 
good enough, particularly messages from religion in terms of not being able to measure up. And, um, you know, the philosophy I took pretty early on was if I'm not going to measure up, I might as well have fun on the way down to hell. So um, after that, it was kind of floodgates were open in terms of pretty much embracing anything that came my way. Um, hard drugs, you know, if I could get my hands on them, smoking a lot of pot. Um, and unfortunately, that kind of dovetailed into um, really strong episodic depression as well. And so that, again, the onset early teens kind of became this perfect storm for me ending up in inpatient rehab in, I want to say I was 15 or 16. And um, the first stint was um, just a month long. And then, you know, I guess supposedly I was reformed after that. They sent me back out into the world and, um, you know, didn't take long before I uh, decided I wanted to go even harder, you know, finding things like meth and cocaine. And um, again, pretty much I was an opportunist. Anything I could get to try and alter the way I was feeling, to get a thrill, um, to take the edge off of feeling so much, or ultimately to try and induce feelings as well. Um, so that landed me back in inpatient rehab again um, for a three month stint this time. And, you know, I really did have resolve realizing that, you know, things were not headed the, the way that I wanted them um, and ended up in kind of an outpatient setting after that. Um, and, you know, throughout the length of this of my life, I've had periods of sobriety, you know, these substances weren't necessarily a constant throughout. So and I, I, uh, I was in traditional AA at that juncture after coming out of rehab and tried to get myself into the program, really tried to be invested in it, but <clears throat> I hit a real roadblock at the God part. And that became a big enough hurdle for me that it eventually kind of knocked me out of the rooms. I also had an interaction with a sponsor that was um, less than ideal. And that was enough at that time for me to kind of write off the program. Um, and so after that, you know, I headed off to college. And of course that became, you know, like Disneyland. It was, you know, finally everyone's on my same page. Let's, let's rage as much as we can while still keeping our grades up. And, um, you know, I went hard and I did insane things. And, um, you know, a lot of missed opportunities in terms of I look back on, you know, I studied abroad, but I have these, I have no meaningful memories besides these drinking escapades. And it's really in hindsight, um, kind of disappointing how I chose to kind of block out, uh, block out a lot of these opportunities for growth, um, and vulnerability because I was drinking so hard. I gave myself a concussion after finals. You know, I decided I had to get as hammered as I could before <laughs> before anyone else had finished their finals either. And then I was dancing on a table, I guess, fell off and whacked my head and I had a concussion for days. So if that's not a perfect example of kind of the level of drinking and insanity I was at. Um, so, and that's also the drinking party and culture became a foundation for my social interactions and eventually my marriage. And um, so I, I kind of just continued on this path going, um, drinking being a constant thread of it, but 
um, again, I was an opportunist when different things came my way. Um, and then most recently, um, kind of in the midst of the pandemic was when my drinking really hit this breaking point it was the culmination of um, kind of a lot of, you know, a, a relationship that wasn't built on a strong foundation and was woven through with of addiction. And um, it just kind of became this breaking point where um, I was drinking to a point where I wasn't showing up to work and wasn't getting out of bed and doing insane things like out into the work in the middle of winter, you know, just horrifying things that um, were really self-deprecating and damaging. And then essentially my partner said, I can't be around this anymore and um, essentially kicked me out. And that was a huge wake up call to the fact that this path you're on is you're out of control. And um, so I had nine months of sobriety after that, you know, just by my own, I guess, will, just not putting myself in the situations where it was available. And, um, but then I had a planned relapse. I literally decided that getting divorced was a perfect social excuse to get drunk again. Just like the depths of the insanity of <laughs> the, the kinds of delusions created in our own minds to justify the means. Um, so I drank and just threw myself back into it. Um, you know, just got shit hammered on the day of my divorce and just kind of went on a two week bender essentially. And it wasn't until essentially my housemate said, you're not wanted here. And that for whatever reason was enough for me to, you know, I distinctly remember sitting on a hill and just kind of crying, just looking up at the sky and like, this has to change. This has got to change. Um, and so, I decided, okay, I've got to figure out a solution. I'm going to give this a try. The God thing was an impediment, but um, I, I, I'm desperate enough now where this, I've seen other members of my family go down this path. I've, I have an aunt in active addiction and it's horrifying to be a bystander too. It's such a bizarre cognitive dissonance to have the ailment and to also be someone who has to bear witness to someone else's deterioration. So it's, um, but I try to hold that kind of in the forefront of my mind is like, you know where this road leads. So I reached out um, into the Zoom world and by some miracle found the AA Intergroup website and that beautiful filter function on the search engine that said secular. And that was, that was incredible because I didn't, it, brought me something I didn't know existed, an alternate option of people who were trying to figure out a way to do this thing without God. And it, it the kind of experience, the transformative experience for me, it's, um, it's like turning a page uh, to a new chapter in a book. This like finding the secular world online with AA has been a like a definite um, break in from like the old to the new of like 
there's freedom here. There's people who are like me who want to try and walk this path um, in a really authentic way. Um, and it was, you know, an all night and all night place is my home group. I got kind of roped in by one of our home members to speak. And that was, um, that was what got me, got me into this. It, he totally hooked me in by, by asking me to put myself out there kind of reception I had was incredible. Um, the discussions I've had with the people along the way and the connections I've been able to make, it's been transformative. You know, there's the phrase that connection is the opposite of addiction. And that has been completely true for me. It's um, just finally feeling like coming home to a group of people who thought like me, who questioned things, who wanted to do things their own way and um, who are willing to, you know, have the hard discussions about things and who, you know, were being very thoughtful and mindful about being authentic as they chose to move forward in sobriety, you know, not just ascribing themselves to what, what was available, you know. Um, the traditional way of life, you know, is uh, the traditional AA way of life is very, um, you know, it suits people. Some people it works perfectly for them. But um, I've just found such an incredible community of people in this space. And I'm totally taken aback that this could happen in a digital interface as well. Like the kind of connection that I could create with people. Um, it's opened up a whole new world of sobriety for me because of the level of support. And I'm just, I'm uncovering these kinds of gifts um, in terms of feeling connected in a network of people that I never had. Um, you know, even just sober walking around in the waking world, you know, I feel like these are my people. And um, I've not had that experience before. And I'm totally taken aback that it's a bunch of drunks. Like I had all sorts of, all sorts of negative thoughts about, you know, I don't want to go hang out with those drunks, those drunks. Um, but I am one of those drunks. And like, I'm okay with that now. I'm like, I'm embracing it. And I'm happy to be here. And um, just like every single day I'm encountering something new that I'm grateful for and being present and being awake to this experience, learning to tolerate discomfort and walking this path with other people, um, feeling our way and being just, just experiencing kind of the newness of this way of life and learning how to kind of tread that path together. So I think that's what I got for tonight, guys. So hopefully something I said resonated for you. If not, please, please ignore. <laughs> Thanks, you guys.